The God is Just Like Jesus book, you can email me at chris at God is Just Like Jesus for a copy. Here's another intense one, so buckle up. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It's towards the end of his three and a half year ministry, so it's, it's intense. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. Matthew sixteen twenty one through 25 And then the parallel passage in Mark 8 adds, But when Jesus turned... And looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And that's just an added piece of information. So, step back for a moment. Jesus is talking about the fact that he's going to die. And, of course, they don't understand he's going to tend atone for human sins, right? They just, it, it, they don't have the full picture yet. But, they know he's the Messiah, right after King David there's two things going on they know he's the Messiah because a little bit earlier in in um, in Matthew 16 Peter's got this incredible success where he says I know two things about you one you're the Messiah and two you're the Son of God you're divine and those are different things the Messiah was the fulfillment of all the prophecies um, for for six thousand years <laughs> that this this one would be coming who would restore the kingdom to uh, not only to Israel, but um, just the prophecies were bigger than that, restore order. And then this other thing, you're also the son of God, which means you have divine origins. You're not a mere human. So Peter has this great success earlier in Matthew 16, if you want to read it. But then there's this epic uh, moment. <clears throat> so... Um, Go away for just a moment and talk about what do you think Peter's expectations were around Jesus being the Messiah and how that might have involved Peter and um, why Peter's so upset after Jesus says, actually, I'm going to die. All right. So go away, talk about that, hit pause and come back. Okay. So at some level, if you really... And, and, and you may know some of this history and you may not. Since the Garden of Eden, for 6,000 years um, before our time, um, there have been prophetic promises that someone's coming, someone's coming, someone's coming. And this one is going to put all things right. And also um, that he's going to restore the kingdom like King David built the kingdom, he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel in a physical sense. And all that's true. Uh, even in the back, uh, the beginning of Genesis, in Genesis 3, after the fall happens, God speaks to Adam and to Eve and says, Eve, from your children, your seed, one will arise, the, 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 the devil will strike his foot, but he will crush the devil's head. 
And that's a messianic promise right in the beginning of Genesis 3 that's talking about Jesus and that he's going to come and, and destroy the devil and his works. So, and then you have dozens and dozens and dozens of other prophecies all through the Old Testament. And the book of Matthew actually describes a lot of those. So, Peter's figured out, you're the one that Genesis 3 was talking about. You're the one Moses was talking about. There's a prophet who will come and lead your people. You're the one that all of the prophets actually have been prophesying about. So, and if you read Luke 24, after he's raised from the dead and he talks to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he, read that little text. He tells them, he opens up the scriptures and tells them these prophetic words, that was about me. I mean, it's amazing. Jesus teaching about Jesus. But anyway, um, so Peter's figured out part of the fact that he is the Messiah. So when Jesus starts saying, I'm going to die, Peter's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. I mean, it's part of the extension of that argument, who's the greatest? <clears throat> Peter's like, mm, no, this is never going to happen. You're going to the top. You're restoring the kingdom to Israel now. You're kicking off the Romans. We're going to be a sovereign people again who can rule our own destiny. You're not going to die. And by the way, I'm going to be your number one man at your right-hand side. Maybe we'll let James and John come along too, or one of the 12, but you know, down a little bit. But you're not dying. And so I think what's going on here, Peter is incredibly, his expectations of where this whole movement is going is just getting thrashed. And he's having a real moment. He's having a meltdown. And, and it says Peter takes Jesus aside and starts rebuking the master, right? The one who calmed the wind and the waves and turned water into wine and drove the demons out. Lord, this will never happen to you. No. And there's intensity with it, right? Rebuke is not a passive word. So Jesus, okay, go ahead, let, all right, hit pause again in just a minute. Talk about Jesus's response. It's critical. What is he not doing? Like, like, you know, what if Peter took a Pharisee aside and be began rebuking them like that? Or, uh, or Herod, right? Or one of these kings, um, what would the, how would they responded? How would we respond? And then talk about how Jesus responds, okay? And then come back. <clears throat> so Peter, I mean, sorry, Peter rebukes Jesus, a lot of expectations going on. And it says, Jesus then turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He says, you're, you're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And uh, then he, he talks to his disciples. Now, I added this extra passage in Mark along because it says, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, so Peter had taken him off, he's rebuking the master, and then Jesus turns his back, I think, to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, like his back's to him, but he's also looking at, at the 10 and 11, right? disciples and who knows how many others because he's driving the point home i have to be in the driver's seat this this american you know uh uh christianity thing where we're like jesus is my co-pilot you know it's like that's baloney right jesus is nobody's co-pilot jesus is in the driver's seat and it's for our good you can be guaranteed if you're steering your own life you're going to go down the typical routes of pain and suffering and just inviting uh, 
problems in your life and our self-induced sin and, and all the fruits and consequences of that, right? If you're, if you're in charge of your own life. But if Jesus is in charge of your life, there's still problems, but he redeems them and he grows us up in the middle of them and he bears fruit through the course of our lives through the successes and the failures and the sins, right? King David, successes and failures. Abraham, successes and failures. Moses, successes and failures. Moses lost his temper and got furious a number of times. Abraham lies. David has sex with Bathsheba and kills Uriah, a righteous man. I mean, no one's perfect, but they're engaging with God instead of just quitting and saying, ah, I'm just going to run my own life and do whatever I want to, right? There's two kinds of people, the ones that respond to Jesus and the ones that don't. Well, when he turns his back and he looks at his disciples and he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you know, it's, again, he's not rejecting them. He, again, he, he does not, he's not kicking them off the team. He's not getting other disciples. He's not um, shaming them. He's not like, man, I'm so, like, I'm done. I mean, I can't, I, I can't do this anymore. You guys keep failing, keep struggling. Just get away. You know, he doesn't do that. It's part of his training program. And so he uses it again, way up the intensity spectrum, even past day nine and the, and the waves, the wind and waves. Uh, he saying, you must submit to me and I will lead you. He goes in, get this. You'll feel like you're losing your life. I am the only one that can help you find your life and, f and find your most deepest parts right? In terms of authenticity and who you are. He goes, you may try to find your own life on your own, right? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life and his expectations and all the things he thinks he wants or she wants, you'll end up losing it if you're in the driver's seat. It's ruin. And, and, and we can see this in, in Hollywood, in politics, in sports, you know, they climb to the top, they find their life and what they get at the top. I'm all alone and everybody wants my stuff and I can't trust anyone. And being at the top in those arenas, it's horrendous. Well, you know what? They wouldn't submit to Jesus. They ran their own lives and what they found in the end was emptiness and ruin. And Jesus says, I don't want that for you. I care about you. I'm passionate about you. I'm jealous in a good way for you more than you have any idea. L just submit to me and I need to be in the driver's seat and get this. Here's the promise. That used to be my most hated verse, by the way. Do you have a most hated verse? I used to, and that was it. For whoever wants to lose his life, will who save his life will lose it. And whoever wants to lose their life for me will find it. I'm like, ah, I hate that verse, right? You're calling me to be miserable. That was my most hated verse, and now I realize it's a verse of mercy. He's saying, whoever loses his life or his expectations, think of Peter's expectations, whoever loses it and follows me. We're not just into like, oh, I'm going to lose my life in some religious, like, you know, doer, depressed kind of, I'm just losing my life. No, no, it's none of that. We lose our life so we can follow Jesus. That's the important. It's the following that's important, not the losing. He says, you follow me. I guarantee you over the weeks, months, and years, and decades, you will find your life. You'll find what you're really after in your heart. There will be fruit through your life instead of just lost selfishness and sin. 
and I will draw you up into your greatest self and you'll be delighted with joy for all like in the process you get glimpses of it and all eternity oh man who you become is one of your greatest rewards so he's saying you know it's the driver's seat step aside so it's intense and of course this is an extension i think of the the satan's attack of him against him in luke 4 where the devil comes to him after he's been fasting for 40 days and nights and says hey are you the son of god you know turn the rock into bread you know if you're the son of god throw yourself off the temple and he uses scripture and twists it to try to uh tempt jesus and then he says look i know you're here for all the people to save them and take them out of my clutches I'll give them to you. You fall down and worship me. And Jesus is like, away from me, Satan. And he rejects the devil with all his contemptible words and, and assertions. And, and he's going to go get the people the Father's way. He's not going to try to take some shortcut that would enslave everyone under the devil's control. So right here, this get behind me, Satan, is probably connected to that whole argument. The devil's still attacking um, Jesus throughout his earthly life. And this time it seems like he's kind of influencing Peter to do the same. But regardless, this whole thing, it's really about uh, way up the intensity spectrum. This might be the most intense one out of Jesus' followers where he says, I'm not rejecting you, I'm not pushing you away, but you have to let me in the driver's seat. And Peter, you have no idea what you're saying. You're, you're wanting me to restore the kingdom and you want me to be the Messiah and all those things, but um, we're gonna do it my way. And if we did it your way, it, it would be problem. And if I did it your way, I wouldn't even go to the cross. And everyone would still go to hell forever. And he's saying, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be punished for your sins and you can be guaranteed you're forgiven. I'm going to do it the Father's way and you fall in line and follow me. So this is, again, intense growth for the disciples with no rejection, no shame, no accusation. It's just, it's the time to shift direction, boys, and we're going a different way. And you're going to be leading the church soon. So let's ask a question. What if Jesus was passive? Again, I kind of answered that a minute ago. If he was passive instead of intense, no one would be saved. The sins of passivity are as great as the sins of unclean anger. Jesus has clean anger, but human beings have unclean anger. But passivity is as bad as un uh, unclean anger and oppression and all those sorts of things. All right. The foundation verse is 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And it talks about the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, right? So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Well, hit pause. What do you, what do you take out of this? Okay? Okay, if you've, you've come back, and maybe I didn't say this so well, but what do you see in Jesus that reveals the Father? So if you need to talk about that for a minute, hit pause again. What I see once again is that if Jesus isn't, tearing the disciples down, pushing them away for what it looks like a massive failure on Peter's part. That means God's not. And that's awesome. That's our security is knowing he's never pushing us away when we said, Lord, I want to be yours. I mean, all my successes and my failures together, I want to be yours. Um, and if he's using 
their sin, this this situation, Peter's expectations of what should happen, and, and the struggle of that to grow him up, that means God is going to use struggle situations to grow us up for our good. Because the Father's just like Jesus. And then I think there's just a, an incredible, you know, worship opportunity here. Worship without music. Um, you know, he, here's the verse, Hebrews 12, 5. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. So this is correction and discipline. But look, don't make light of it. That's one extreme. On the other extreme, don't just lose heart. And, oh, I could never give it right because that's what I always used to do. My image of God was so messed up. I always used to be like, oh, Peter can't do enough. I can't do enough. Might as well just give up following Jesus, right? No. Don't make light of it and don't get overwhelmed by it. Just dial in the middle. Remember, he loves you and take it out and worship and just say, Lord, I know you love me. I don't understand why you're so intense right now, but I know you you want me to grow intensely right now. And and I love the fact that you love me. You're not pushing me away. You're not rejecting me. You're not even accusing me, but you are intent that I grow in this moment so that I can care about others, even myself, in a better way. Oh, help me take a breath and just learn from you and all that you're doing right now, Lord. Amen.